ask me why I'm always teasing you. You hate to have me call you pretty baby. Whether you like it or not, there's going to be a big change around here, and it starts tonight. Hello and welcome back to the Queens and Rebels podcast. And I guess if you're a first-time listener, then just plain welcome. <laughs> this is a women's history podcast, and this is the final part on the Soon Sisters story, part three. I will dive into it shortly, but just a, w- a warning if you hear my husband yelling in the background, it's uh, because he's wearing headphones and playing video games sometimes, just yells out random profanities, so... <laughs> Having said that, I am kind of delirious from being tired, and it's not even that late. For most people, it's not even 11 p.m. yet, but I go to bed extremely early, and my whole family makes fun of me for that. I have, like, toddler bedtime, or, like, when really old people go to bed early, like, that's me. I like to be in bed by nine. I just really love getting good sleep. I feel like I will sacrifice a lot for just a good sleep. But since today is Friday, it's okay. I can sleep in on the weekend. I still haven't watched The Mandalorian uh, just because I was finishing up my notes for this podcast and I know my curiosity will not let me sleep. So I'll have to go and watch that after. I don't want to blub on for too long. Um, Oh, okay. Actually, no, I do want to blub on for too long. (laughs) This is so funny. Okay, so I took my cat for a walk today and he saw another cat. I didn't even see the cat because the other cat was black, fully black. And he was kind of blending into the darkness. It was already getting pretty dark. It's getting dark really early here, like around five o'clock. It's like pitch black now. So anyways, I was walking my cat just outside on my street and he saw this cat. He was all puffed up. I got so freaked out because I had no idea what he was staring at. I thought maybe it's some kind of ghost hiding in my neighbor's bush. And then I realized it was another cat because the other cat started making those weird grumbling noises like cats do when they want to fight. Like the... So I had to pick up mine and run because I was scared that the other cat will attempt to kick both of our asses and my cat is not the fighter, he's a spoiled baby. So (laughs) of course my cat's kind of a douchebag to be honest, like he does want to fight other cats he encounters and I have to remove him and he hisses the whole way home. I mean, it's not even important news, but oh well, just thought I'd mention. Um, I will jump into my notes. Uh, So uh, we left the sisters amidst the Japanese invasion of China. And during the 1940s, Qin Lin, the middle sister, um, aka the red sister, was residing in Hong Kong. Many were surprised by her move. They didn't expect Madame San the defiant heroine to retreat to safety and comfort outside of her country. Her living arrangements were fairly modest uh, compared to her siblings. And I want to 
stressed that they were modest compared to her siblings because she still led a fairly nice, comfortable life. In Hong Kong, she was busy with the Chinese Defense League. This was an association she formed. It was a communist uh, sorry, it was a communist association organization that she formed, not association. It was associated with the communists. In 1940s, another sister made her way to Hong Kong. So this was a family reunion at this point. Meilene flew there to seek medical treatment for a bad sinus problem. And Meilene has always struggled with health problems. We'll talk about them more later on. Uh, Meilene um, was staying in Ailings, which was the older sister, as you remember. And she was staying in Ailings ocean-facing mansion, and all three sisters ended up uh, spending time together. They got together often, by all accounts. They had a, a good time in each other's company, and the sisters put on um, a unified front. The war was still happening, and uh, they still uh, had to publicly support the government, uh, despite Ching Ling obviously disagreeing with her uh, brother-in-law. So, in a rare appearance, uh, they went out for dinner in one of the hotspots in town, and this was very unusual. They typically socialize at private events and in their private circles. Um, the situation on the war front was getting dire. A series of defeats were eroding uh, Chang's popularity, the popularity he initially uh, had when the surge of nationalism occurred because of the war. Uh, his longtime rival called Wang Jingwei blamed uh, Chang for the defeats, and he was not wrong. Well, partially he was not wrong, and his, this view was shared by many, including Joseph Stilwell, who was a U.S. military attaché. Stilwell observed Chang's inefficiency, and his inefficiency stemmed from Chang's distrust of his associates. Uh, he would not disclose any plans to them. Wang made a takeover move. Uh, so all three sisters actually flew back to China to support uh, Cheng, and this included the red sister. Madame Sun was uh, greeted like a celebrity upon her arrival. She held a lot of sway uh, over public opinion. Despite showing support for her brother-in-law, she maintained her distance from him and disclosed to her friends that she felt used by the general and wanted to go back to Hong Kong. She went as far as purposely not smiling in any photographs that she was in with her brother-in-law. The sisters' unity was crumbling. In parallel, the fragile unity between the communists and the nationalists, the nationalists being Chang's government, was crumbling as well. In 1941, Japan invaded Hong Kong. Ching Ling refused to move, although a plane was dispatched by Ching's government to carry her back to China. Of course, uh, at this point, Hong Kong was not yet part of, uh, of China. 
She did not uh, want to be around her hated brother-in-law to the point where she would rather uh, be in occupied territory. Elaine, who tried to talk her uh, sister out of staying, decided to stay behind with her sister. And this changed uh, Chingling's mind. Perhaps she didn't want to endanger her sister. So the two actually boarded the plane last minute and ended up flying back to China. The reception they received was quite hostile, and actually I shouldn't say they, because m- most of it was directed towards a lane. The public felt uh, like the move of sending a private plane for them, um, or for her specifically, uh, was just rubbing their privilege in their faces, that the private plane was sent to whisk away the rich to safety. And there was a rumor that Elaine brought her seven poodles and 42 suitcases back to China. The rumors were untrue, but Chin Ling did nothing uh, to correct them. She was enjoying the image uh, people held of her uh, that was of this brave, outspoken um, heroine. And she did not want to jeopardize her cred with the people. In Hong Kong, she lived a life privileged enough to have a maid. She was also on that plane. Uh, She stayed in her sister's mansion. And uh, in the mansion, she actually occupied the entire floor. To explain this uh, hypocrisy of hers away, a rumor started among her followers that she was held in the mansion against her will. Of course, uh, she did nothing to correct it, even though it was not true. Cheng Ling soon moved out from the mansion and found her own place. She saw her sisters, but she avoided her brother-in-law at all costs. Uh, she kept a small circle of friends and continued her work for the China Defense League. The fact that she uh, kept a small circle of friends kind of added to her mystique. And she also sought out American aid for communist-controlled uh, territories. An American diplomat wrote the following about Ching Ling, I quote, She seemed to me basically a cold, hard, ruthless woman who knows what she wants and how to get it, unquote. I mean, good for her. (laughs) That's all I have to say about that. At the time, this type of judgment was reserved for any woman with ambition. So I feel like he meant it as an insult, but it is um, a compliment. Uh, anyways, moving on, Mei Ling seemed to have a better time charming Americans. Uh, she had a very successful U.S. tour in the 1943, and Cheng Ling was actually very jealous of that. Um, privately, she made uh, very salty remarks about her sister, but uh, she did not make any public remarks about her family just yet. She was waiting for the war with Japan to end and uh, for the war uh, with communists to begin. Back to Mei Ling's American tour, though, a year prior, Roosevelt's representative came to China and was uh, uh, taken by Mei Ling. He was charmed, and he invited her to do a goodwill tour uh, back in America. Since Pearl Harbor, America had a lot of sympathy for China, and they welcomed Mei Ling with open arms. Uh, the welcome she received surpassed her expectations, 
She met the president. She spoke in a 17,000 rally in Madison Garden. This was followed by a 30,000 rally um, in LA. And she even addressed the Congress and received a standing ovation. At the end of the tour, she was pretty drained, but uh, she did not get much rest uh, when she got back home. And also she did receive some criticism during the tour. It was not all uh, peachy. The White House staff uh, thought she was quite spoiled for bringing her own silk sheets and they were changed daily. I mean, to be fair, I would think that as well. Because what they didn't know is uh, this was due to the hives on her skin. Changing the sheets often would help to improve her, uh, improve them. Also, her niece and nephew, Janet and uh, Sir da- David and Janet, accompanied her on a tour and they had poor manners. From what I've gathered, everyone who met them uh, really did not uh, like them much. She brought them um, as a way to show support for Eileen. Eileen was getting a lot of criticism at the time back home. And also Eileen was paying for most of the trip. So, <laughs> you know, that probably was a factor. While in America, Mei Ling heard the rumor that her husband was seeing other women. And specifically, one of those women was Jenny, um, the former concubine, his former concubine. Upon her return, she stormed off to A Ling's and only came back after several months of Chang's insistence that the rumors weren't true. I mean, who knows? At this point, uh, she was suffering from several illnesses. On top of her hives uh, that uh, got worse, uh, she was experiencing other health issues. And in this sorry state, she had to accompany her husband to Cairo for a conference with Roosevelt and Churchill. It was Mei Ling who negotiated on her husband's behalf since he didn't speak English And uh, she also had to do all the post-negotiation socializing um, that fell on her shoulders. Naturally, she attracted a lot of attention, being the only woman present, uh, surrounded by all these uh, famous, powerful men. The fact uh, that she rearranged her legs a little more than normal, probably due to her skin issues, uh, was interpreted as an attempt to distract other leaders from her husband's poor performance. Yes, let that ridiculous tidbit sink in. (laughs) And while it's sinking in, I'll also remind you that, remember, the trash dumpster that is the Daily Mail thought it was a great idea to run a front page about Theresa May's and Nicola Sturgeon's legs. So there you have it, seven decades later, (laughs) and And women are still not allowed to have legs. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but anyway, moving on. <laughs> the Cairo Declaration, uh, which uh, restored all Japanese occupied territories to China, was a huge victory. And this was achieved in part due to Mei Ling. Uh, the victory was short-lived. Mei Ling was needed to patch up another one of Chen's crumbling relationships, and this time it was with Stilwell, the U.S. representative. He reported to Washington, and by he I mean Stilwell, that, I quote, the Chinese soldier is excellent material, wasted and betrayed by stupid leadership, unquote. 
Stilwell was not charmed by the First Lady's efforts uh, to befriend him, and Roosevelt demanded Stilwell be placed in command of the forces. This was unsurprisingly refused. Uh, Stilwell's assessment was not wrong, but then the demand that was made by Roosevelt was a bit much. So uh, Maylene was really stressed out by the fracturing relationship between the two countries. This deteriorated her health further and uh, she decided to take a break and uh, flew to Rio to recuperate, accompanied by uh, her older sister and some of uh, Aileen's kids. Um, this was seen as abandonment by government insiders and uh, some, including uh, Truman, speculated that the Sung family was going there to invest stolen American aid money into real estate. I'm not saying that the family wasn't corrupt because they were, but it seemed like they most likely went to Rio because at the time it was a very glamorous uh, destination. I mean, it still is a glamorous destination, but it was kind of at the peak of uh, popularity. After two months, uh, May Lane moved to New York and kept a low profile for over a year. Obviously, some kind of break occurred in her marriage. Before she departed for Rio, she was given a bizarre farewell party where her husband made a speech about his fidelity in front of journalists and foreign dignitaries. Obviously weird, like you don't <laughs> give a farewell party speeches if your spouse is going on vacation. This could be connected to the rumors of his infidelity, obviously, since he brought it up. She was also angry with her husband because Aileen's husband was fired from his position in the government due to a corruption scandal, and he had to hand back some of the money that he pocketed. Of course, the fact that she was angry at her husband for firing him is audacious. It's just the privilege is through the roof. <laughs> you know, the fact that she expected this guy to come out clean out of a an obvious corruption scandal where he was caught and still retain his job is is something else. Obviously, uh, you know, her and her older sister were greedy. They were financially motivated and uh, they thought less about the country's well-being and more about uh, their family's well-being. And to be honest, I had a hard time connecting with any of the sisters for a while, Chen Lin was coming off as the most sympathetic to me, uh, but then she was quite hypocritical, like we'll talk about that later on, and that's also okay, I mean, they're human beings, as I said, they're not uh, perfect saints, nor are they some kind of devils, um, like most of us, they fall somewhere in between, and they have redeeming qualities, and they have qualities that are awful, but what's undeniable, their lives were fascinating. So during uh, her absence, uh, Maylene's absence, the Chinese-American relationship improved because Stilwell was replaced and also a new ambassador was assigned uh, to China and both of them were friendly with the general. So American government started getting more positive feedback. She uh, was still in New York when Japan announced their surrender on the 10th of August, 1945. Chen's government was not out of hot water just because Japan surrendered. They actually 
faced a new threat, and this was Mao's army. The army grew from a small group to over a million soldiers and was considerable threat. America was pushing for peace talks. They wanted to avoid a civil war. On the surface, both Mao and Chiang conceded. On the 10th of October, both sides signed a treaty, but neither of them was willing to keep it. Mao issued uh, battle orders the very next day, but uh, he suffered the loss and retreated to lick his wounds. Obviously, following Chen's victory over Japan, public admiration of him increased, but that would soon evaporate. Government officials immediately proceeded to squeeze cities that were still recovering from Japanese occupation for every penny. And Chen himself decided to spend a ridiculous amount of government money on a second private jet, even though his first one was only over a year old. So the public was growing unhappy, but Chen was having some uh, triumphs on the front. In June of 1946, he was on the verge of expelling uh, communists from the country. Uh, he retreated due to American pressure. This was a fatal mistake, and this mistake would uh, change China forever. By the spring of 1947, so the following year, the tides have turned and it was actually the communists that were gaining ground. Elaine seemed to have had an inkling of this pretty early on. She convinced Meilene of her husband's impending failure. This time, Meilene was not turning the front or making any speeches. Uh, she sat tight in New York. Elaine also started making material preparations for Chingling. She knew that uh, the sister was a communist sympathizer, uh, but uh, she also felt like her sister will have a hard time adjusting to life under communism, so she was making provisions for her. Um, now, uh, Meilene did not completely abandon her husband. In 1947, she met with a red sister to ask what the communist bottom line was to stop the war. This was uh, a highly unusual interaction between the two. They usually avoided politics altogether. So this finally drove home how close the communists were to their victory for Chen Ling. At the time, the family knew her to be a communist sympathizer, but that year they found out just how involved she was with the communists and that she played a key role in the party, and they were floored. Following the conversations the two sisters had, Red Sister boarded a train to Beijing, oh, sorry, to Shanghai, and ended her communications with the family. In 1948, Chen was planning to make an escape to Taiwan and extracted as much cash, gold, and silver as he could in the process. He made his escape in 1949. The regime crumbled, but uh, Chang and Ming Ling were far from destitute. At the time, their interactions were very cold and businesslike, uh, which uh, was unusual for their relationship. Communist forces were gearing up to take Taiwan, and everyone who could was fleeing the island. In a very unusual move, um, against her older sister's advice, Mei Ling actually flew back to be with her husband. 
Later in his diary, the general would compare his wife to, to legendary heroes who come back to the rescue during a dangerous time, a time of need. At this time, Meilin and her husband were on the list of communist war criminals, and Chen Lin cut her family out of her life completely. She claimed that any previous kind of friendly gestures or interactions were an attempt uh, to protect herself from uh, Chen Kai-shek's uh, regime. Mao chose uh, Beijing as his capital. He invited her to come join his government. She thought it was best to stay away from the capital and the political games that were happening, but she could not refuse an invitation for the second time. A spacious two-story house has been prepared for her. This was a pretty rare for Beijing, where most homes um, only had one level. She would later own several very fancy mansions. One mansion formerly was owned by a prince. One was a Shanghai uh, European-style villa with a garden filled with exotic flowers and rare trees. And in Beijing, she had an even more magnificent place. And this is what I mean by when I say Qingling was um, a hypocrite. She criticized her family's wealth. I mean, they were corrupt, but she herself lived a very privileged life. And this hypocrisy is not unusual amongst the communist leadership anywhere in the world, really. Like, she's not the only one. Her mansions were well-staffed by servants. Um, she had cooks, she had bodyguards, you know, you name it. Uh, I mean, her life under communism uh, compared to her family was less lavish. Uh, but, of course, she had a very privileged and lavish life compared to an average citizen. I mean, it's easy to support the system that allows you to keep that privilege and... Uh, you don't have to dig cabbage in communal fields for pennies and pray by to survive. She was well off to begin with, and she definitely didn't practice uh, what she preached in the first place. So that's my two cents <laughs> on her. I'm not saying she was better or worse than her sisters. But back to Ching Ling's uh, glory days. On the 1st of October 1949, Mao proclaimed the People's Republic. She walked right behind him, obviously a huge honor. She was more of a figurehead and was not involved in policy making, but she was allowed to continue running her China welfare organization. Under the communist, she grew increasingly paranoid. She asked her friends to burn any letters or communication upon their reception. When an American paper linked her organization to famine relief, she immediately denounced it as rumors. This was actually true, but officially there was no such a thing as a famine under the communist regime. Uh, she was starting to find herself on the receiving end of the um, of accusations of corruption, but for now she still well went on giving parties and listening to old Western records and having friends over, and uh, she was fairly carefree in the beginning. She fared much better than most people and only had one confrontation with the party throughout her life. In 1956, she was pushed out of her own China welfare organization and was uh, deeply upset by this. The same year, she was tasked to write an article for her departed husband's anniversary commemoration. And this commemoration was supposed to be a big deal. 
She did not follow the party's direction to emphasize uh, the communist role in her husband's career. At the time, the article was sent to lower-ranking censors, and she overruled any suggestions of theirs, and the article was published as is. So this annoyed the party greatly. In retribution, when the grand celebration was held, Qingling was nowhere to be seen, and this was because she was not invited. At the time, rumors were also floating around that she was having an affair with one of her bodyguards and uh, that she should no longer be seen as uh, Madame Sung. And I see um, in my notes in brackets, I put ridiculous, (laughs) but um, there is no time for another tangent. I mean, not that the affair was ridiculous. I meant that her achievements were suddenly just stripped away and they were hanging on her husband's name, who really pissed out fairly early into the whole communism ordeal. But anyways, Jin Ling was actually widely gossiped about, unlike the rest of the communist elite that were not discussed. She was worried that she would lose her name as Madame Sung. This name still offered her a lot of prestige and protection. In 1957, the party offered an olive branch uh, to her and they kissed and made up. Mao always had a good relationship with her and didn't wish to alienate her. She was acting as a goodwill ambassador for the countries that feared their communist neighbor. Reportedly, the president of Indonesia was quite taken with her. Jin Lin was um, also a part of a communist takeover of Taiwan. Mao couldn't take it by force. They thought she would be the best person to negotiate Taiwan's capitulation to China. In general, the outspoken Ching Ling turned silent and stepped away from any independent action. In 1957, Mao invited hundreds of thousands of educated people to speak up about the country's problems, and then he promptly condemned all those who did. Among the sentenced were many of Red Sister's friends who were either shipped off to a gulag or driven to suicide. To top it off, uh, Mao was pretty incompetent with economics. He wasted a lot of human and natural resources, and this led to a nationwide famine. At this point, Chen Lin was looking for a way out of the country. She tried to use an excuse of health problems, but it never panned out. Her admirers waited uh, to see her famous show of defiance, uh, but instead uh, she remained meek and she stuck to the party lines. She was no longer protected by her family and did not enjoy uh, the same privilege of of protection that was awarded to her, uh, so she did not speak out. And I mean, I'm not criticizing her uh, For this, you have to be a very brave person to do so. So it was just an instinct of self-preservation. But uh, she did disappoint people with her silence. Instead, uh, she turned her attention towards her private life and informally adopted two daughters. Uh, She took over the care of one of the kids of the very same bodyguard she was accused of having an affair with. 
Her first daughter she named Yolanda, and later she took her younger sister in, named Yongzhe. She seemed content with her life, focusing on family, until Mao's biggest purge, the Cultural Revolution of the 1966. And um, she was spared, but she was scared. <laughs> Ooh, that rhymed. She was scared because the Red Guards were given permission to set up camp outside of her mansion's walls, and they were constantly yelling slogans. So in fear, she burned all her bourgeois possessions, and this would be fancy purses, shoes, clothing, stuff like that. During this time, uh, more friends and relatives were killed and tortured. One tortured and desperate cousin came looking for her help, but was turned away from her doorstep, and uh, the cousin committed suicide. This death uh, haunted Red Sister for the rest of her life. She briefly stopped uh, seeing her daughters because of the purge, and the rumors that were swirling around about her affair. But uh, she was soon reunited with them and tried to seek the best opportunities possible for them. Uh, Yolanda was being trained as a dancer and Yongzhe worked in a hospital. And this might not seem like the fanciest opportunities, but uh, this was the best alternative presented to them at the time. It was a better alternative than collective farming. Eventually, uh, her friends were released from prison, the ones that uh, survived at least. On the 9th of September 1976, Mao died and Madame Mao was subsequently scapegoated for all his brutal policies. Ching Ling uh, was unwilling uh, to admit uh, the part she played and in turn uh, she was exonerating Mao and, and she personally disliked Madame Mao so she was quite happy to see uh, how uh, the wife was uh, treated. After Mao's death, uh, China started opening up to the world. Jing Lin's daughter Yolanda turned to acting and she became, and uh, I will quote the book, I quote, the country's first good time girl, unquote. And Yang Zhei went on to study in America. In 1980, Ching Ling was given the title of the Honorary President of the People's Republic of China. At the time, she has fallen ill. And on May 29th, 1981, at the age of 88, Ching Ling passed away. Her sister did not attend the funeral. Well, her sister, because at the time only one remained alive. We'll get back to that. Mei Ling did not attend the funeral, despite the government's invitation. By all accounts, uh, Ching Ling reportedly came to regret attacking her sisters in the past, uh, but uh, they did not make amends in the end. Her daughters were named chief beneficiaries to her possessions and a substantial sum of money she bequeathed to them. They did not receive most of her things because adoption was unofficial, but I believe they did uh, inherit the money that was left to them. So right now we're going to jump back in time from 1981 and see how uh, the other two sisters were uh, faring since Mao's takeover. And to sum it up, they were not destitute but exiled. 
After Taiwan was safe, Meilin once again departed for New York. She did not linger for her husband's 1954 inauguration. He set himself up as uh, the quote-unquote president, but uh, he was uh, a dictator. And I mean, that's quite cold not to stay for that occasion. (laughs) The same year, she did fly back after Mao's attempted another attack on Taiwan. She went back to America in 1958 This time, not for a personal visit, but to lobby against the communist threat. Her efforts were well received and Taiwan fell under America's protection. That's why it was off limits for Mao at the time. She returned to Taiwan, uh, this time because she wanted to, not because she had to. And Mei Lane started performing her duties as first lady. She opened a children's hospital and visited hospitals for leopards, where she took off her gloves and touched people without a second pause, without any reservation. And also, by all accounts, she was very kind to children. And this won her many fans. She lived a more leisurely and relaxed life compared to her time as China's first lady. She took up gardening and painting. And the couple seemingly reconciled and they lived the life of uh, peace and security for two decades until Nixon shattered their peace by attempting to establish a diplomatic relationship with China. Uh, This obviously uh, brought up worries of American abandonment of Taiwan. Chang's health at the time took a turn for the worse. Uh, He suffered a stroke. Mei Ling tried to persuade her husband to put her and Matthew David in charge of Taiwan's finances in order to secure her lifestyle after her husband's passing, but this was refused. On April 1975, Chen passed away at the age of 87. By this time, he was already in the hospital and his health uh, took a nosedive prior his son inherited the rule of Taiwan and was happy to indulge Mei Ling's expensive lifestyle as instructed by his father. Mei Ling departed for New York after the funeral and she reportedly kept her husband pictures beside her bedside uh, until the end of her life and she called him honey and talked to the picture. So obviously she missed him. Once she departed for New York, a whole stream of people followed. Her drivers, her nurses, her bodyguards, chefs, um, they all moved. And this was all paid for courtesy of her stepson. So she did not really have to worry at all um, about her financial situation. Elaine made New York her permanent home in exile. And also Elaine, of course, helped her out uh, financially as well. Um, But um, Elaine at this time was permanently established in New York. She often traveled back to Taiwan to visit her sister. She convinced Chang to present Taiwanese talent with an opportunity to get educated abroad, and this would benefit the island uh, in the future. She also paid a hefty sum of hush money to the general's uh, former concubine, Jenny, who was attempting to uh, publish a memoir. She continued to provide for her family, this included siblings, and uh, it was mentioned before, uh, she was the brain behind her husband, and by the way, her husband was briefly romancing Hitler, you can google about that. Elaine was a very rich woman, she was the most well-off out of her siblings, but she led a very private lifestyle, and this was despite her Hollywood connections. 
Um, she set her youngest son, Louis, up with a rising starlet called Deborah Paget. Paget? P-A-G-E-T. Deborah at the time was a leading lady in an Elvis Presley film, so she was a starlet on the rise. Eventually, the couple got married and uh, had Aileen's only grandchild called Gregory. And apparently Gregory was born next door to Frank Sinatra. So the couple was well provided for by Elaine, I'm assuming. Elaine died of cancer at the age of 84 on October of 1973. I know I mentioned Ching Ling's death first, but the older sister was the first one to go eight years prior to the red sister. After her sister's death, Mei Ling permanently settled in New York. She lived a private and quiet life as well. In 1988, her stepson died unexpectedly, and concerned about who will handle her expenses, uh, she flew to Taiwan and attempted to meddle in their politics. At this time, she was uh, 90 years old, and everyone has moved on uh, to a new era, and they kind of saw her as a blast from the past. But Taiwan still generously offered uh, her an allowance. She was also getting taken care of by her niece. At this time, Mei Ling still had a sharp mind, but she declined any interviews or any public honors um, that were bestowed on her. Mei Ling passed away in her sleep on October of 2003 at the age of 105. I mean, that is crazy to live over a century. Uh, can you imagine how many things change during that time? And this concludes uh, the whirlwind. There was a part three on the Sung sisters, a story of glamour, war, and betrayal. They definitely made their mark on the world. I definitely enjoyed talking about the sisters. They were not idealists like Emma Goldman, but this made Made them more interesting to me personally. There's a ton more information uh, you can learn about them, about their family or the history of China during that time. You can even refer to my source for more because there is a ton mentioned in that book that I just did not include in here. And of course, my source for all this was a book called Big Sister, Little Sister, Red Sister, Three Women at the Heart of 20th Century China by Jay Cheng. I do recommend it because it was a great read. Honestly, I would love to go into more details about everything from their lives to the time that they lived in. And I'm just never satisfied with how much information I provide in these episodes. I just know I have to cap it off somewhere and keep it under an hour because it becomes tedious if it's anything over that. Maybe it's already tedious, I don't know. <laughs> I, I probably would feel happy if, if I took like a year or two to talk about the sisters and the historical events that surrounded them. But uh, obviously, it's not the type of podcast uh, that is focused on one particular thing. I do want to talk about different individuals, and I learn a lot of interesting things in the process as well. I don't know what I'm going to be doing next week yet. Perhaps I will jump to a less modern time. What I find satisfying about a more modern era is get more information on the personalities of the people you talk about. Something uh, further back in history also allows uh, more room for uh, mystique. So <laughs> that's also not bad. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I will decide uh, hopefully this weekend so I can uh, start with a little bit of research. 
I am uh, trying to be better with procrastinating, um, especially when it comes to this uh, podcast, because I do not uh, want to stop doing it. I mean, uh, this is a ton of fun for me. I hope uh, that people that do listen enjoy as well. I mean, if you didn't, I'm assuming you would not come back. So (laughs) thank you for listening. I hope uh, you are well and I hope everyone's staying safe. Yes. And I will talk to you soon. I'm off to watch The Mandalorian. I've somehow made it through by not checking any spoilers the last time. I kind of ruined the episode for myself. So anyways, bye everyone.